Well, hey, welcome, Grace. Uh, I feel so sorry for you. You did not expect this, and now you're trapped. And uh, I will turn around for 30 seconds if you do want to file through the emergency exits. But um, no, it's great to be with you. I always love and coming and teaching in here um, because uh, we get paid time and a half when we do um, the adults. And so that's, that's good. Uh, but no, it is great to be with you. I have a text I'm very excited about um, expositing tonight. Uh, Dr. Young, I heard is, I think back, uh, he actually sent me a text, which that's big in and of itself. It says, have fun tonight. Wow, this new Bass Pro is awesome. So <laughs> that's, that's what he's doing with the remainder of his uh, vacation time. Uh, but no, it is good to be with you. Uh, take your Bibles. If you have them, turn to John 6. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Landon Ditto, and I'm the senior high youth minister here. And uh, I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world. When people ask me what I do, I say I, I get to speak truth into the lives of future doctors and uh, mothers and mayors and engineers and nurses. And uh, it is an absolute joy to be able to do um, this text tonight. As a, as a pastor in the church context, I'm very drawn to passages where Jesus is addressing people's pain. Um, and I think that's because when I was in, when I was in seminary doing distance education uh, at Covenant up in St. Louis, I would have to go up there uh, a week or two out of the year to take different kind of intensive classes. And you could always spot the, the seminary guys and the church guys. And the seminary guys, you know, in preaching classes kind of spoke more in theories and, you know, in, in, in theology and the church guys, you know, had a little bit more dirt underneath their fingernails, I guess. And so when I run across uh, passages where people are hurting, where Jesus is addressing need and pain, um, I don't see nameless, uh, faceless sea of, of the people. Um, I see you and I see families and stories that I've been invited into and students. And uh, so just as a pastor, I'm drawn to those. So anytime I'm, I'm given the opportunity to just pick a text and go teach in the guest setting, I, that's, that's what I'm drawn to uh, as a pastor. So uh, I'm going to be in John 6, verse 16 through 21. Um, and just to set up a little context, Jesus has just miraculously fed the 5,000. Uh, which is really more like twelve to 15,000 people total. But he's just done that big famous thing. And that leads us into this next scene where he's uh, with his disciples and some distress that they're in. So my prayer is that this apply to you uh, right where you're at. So John chapter six, starting in verse 16. I'll stop at verse 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Maybe you've felt that. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray, ask God to help us make sense of that. Father, Lord, for these people, for my, my own heart and soul, Lord, would you cause this text to, to come alive? May it not just be words, but would you illuminate our hearts and our minds and, 
and meet us where we're at. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So every summer we take a group of juniors and seniors down to Honduras on a mission trip. And uh, it's great. It's a great trip. It's a lot of fun. If you've ever been on a church mission trip, you know that one of the non-negotiable requirements of a mission trip is the, you know, the tourist day where you go into their little local markets or bazaars and basically, you know, spend a lot of your money on things that are going to be destroyed before you even make it to customs, you know, so you have to do that. So uh, we go down there and I've been to different, you know, bazaars and marketplaces in different countries, different parts of the world. And one thing that you will readily run into is some kind of a silversmith. In fact, it's kind of a, you know, touristy trap thing to do. You collect coins from the tourists and you, you throw them into this furnace, if you will, that's, that has silver in it. And you melt it down and you fix it all up into the pieces of fine silver. And so the process looks kind of like this. People give you coins and obviously they're dirty. They're not perfect. They have stuff on them. And every few minutes, the silversmith kind of goes over to the furnace, takes the coin that he's put in, scrapes off some of the imperfections. And slowly, as it's starting to kind of peel and melt away, it's kind of getting there. And this process continues for a while, and you have to imagine if you're that coin, uh, it's probably a little bit uncomfortable. Furnaces are hot, and all this scraping and refining would, would probably be a little annoying. So when does the silversmith know when the coin is ready? So you have a coin, and it has you know, dross or a lot of imperfections on it. When does he know, okay, it, it has thoroughly been purified or refined. Now it's ready. If you were to ask him, his response would be this. I know the dross is gone, and the coin is ready because I can see myself reflected in the silver as a mirror. I want you to get that, okay? The master knows when his art is complete and pure, when the junk is burned off of it, and he can see himself, his reflection in it, in his art. Now, I want that image to kind of burn in your brain, and I want you to hear God's design for you, Christian, for your life. You, his workmanship, his art, Straight from Malachi 3 that reads this. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them with gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Do you understand the implications that are packed into that text? I mean, do you understand that that means that the normative framework for how God works amongst his people is through pain through suffering, through difficulty, through trial, through disappointment, you know, storms, through these dark backdrops, a refining God is at work, not only in history, but individually in our own lives. The big point I think I would have you walk away from tonight is this, the light of Christ's work is most clearly seen against a dark backdrop. So with that in mind, let's peer into this scene and and see how it highlights how this text, Jesus is meeting the disciples where they're at, how it highlights God's grace in Jesus for us. My first point is this, a not so sudden, sudden storm, a not so sudden, sudden storm. Look at verse 16 with me. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So here's what, what's going on. The disciples have just witnessed an unbelievable miracle take place, right? A kid with a little Star Wars lunch pail shows up and it has some fish and some bread in it. And what these disciples have just witnessed is that becoming a buffet line for 12 to 15,000 people. I mean, you want to talk about a faith booster, seeing the physical uh, Jesus do that miracle. Surely they'll never doubt again, right? Because they've seen that. So they see this and the day wears on and they go down and they get in a boat on the Sea of Galilee to sail back to where they came from, Capernaum. Mark's account, Mark's gospel of this story gives us a little bit more insight into why they were setting sail. Here's what Mark says in chapter six, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. You can't miss this. It's enormous. Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So taking that information and considering the fact that Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and he knew everything, I mean, his deity was, was only masked by the cloak of humanity. We have to conclude this, and this is huge and literally life-changing. So Jesus says, hey, disciples, we're done here. I want you to go get in the boat immediately. D do you understand what that means? It means this. Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. They didn't find themselves in a storm and then Jesus kind of flies in and then takes the wheel or rescues them. Jesus sent them into a storm. He knew what the Sea of Galilee would do. And kind of an interesting little side fact, it still does today what it did then. The Sea of Galilee was six or 700 feet below sea level. And uh, it, it was right up next to some mountains. And what you'd have is the warm air from the, you know, from the sea. And, and it created kind of this violent wind tunnel. And so storms would just kind of all of a sudden, you know, pop up and cause chaos. That's just, that's an interesting nugget because, I mean, to see that Historically, we have a book that we can trust and science fits inside of it. I mean, that just puts more affirmation and, and trust in this book for me. I love that. But here's the implication. Jesus directs his disciples to something that he knows will hurt. That's big. Jesus directed his followers, his disciples into something he knows would hurt. I mean, think about what are these disciples thinking and feeling and experiencing as they're rowing tirelessly. It's three or four in the morning, our text tells us. I mean, I wonder if the thought even crossed their minds that, okay, the guy whom we were just with, whom we just watched take a little lunchbox and multiply it for enough food for 15,000 people, I wonder if he's watching I wonder if he cares, or perhaps I wonder if he even has the resources necessary to, to get us out of this, to rescue. Don't we quickly forget when that, when that fog, when the, when the night sets in, don't we quickly forget when we're tirelessly rowing? I mean, I wonder if they did what we do. We assume that, you know, we're going to have to paddle our way out of this somehow alone, that, yeah, we saw Jesus work for them, you know, a few hours ago. We saw that big miraculous thing happen. Um, but perhaps, 
his power is limited, maybe limited to certain situations or certain time frames. It's really not going to work here. It's also interesting to me when Jesus sends his disciples into this storm. I mean, think about it. It's on the heels of really sweet communion, sweet fellowship together, uh, ministry success. Author Richard Phillips says this, our sweetest times of communion are often meant to prepare us for trials to come. And trials are intended to cure us of our spiritual pride or presumption. Um, one of the things that I tell students often is, hey, pain is, is coming. And not like in a doomsday way, not like I'm trying to really freak you out and Christianity's you know, gonna, gonna kill you and this and that, but hey, pain is coming. It's, it's again, it's God's normative framework for how he refines us people. And a, a common response I get from, from a few of them is, well, gosh, I mean, what's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? How do I prepare? What do I do? And I love saying if it's on a Sunday or a Wednesday and it's after youth group or, you know, after, you know, the service, I go this, show up and gather with God's people, Uh, show up and hear God's preached word, Uh, go home and hide God's word away in your heart, build a foundation, build a root system, because when the winter comes and the branches are very brittle and there's no leaves on it, you still will have a root system to pull from. That's how you prepare Application for your life. Jesus is unwavering and passionate and committed to your personal transformation and growth. Way more than you'll ever be. Isn't that awesome news? I mean, I get it. I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night. You're obviously the upper echelon of of the Christian community. But, you know, you want to grow. You want to fight sin. You want to, oh, I want to do that. Not more than Jesus. Not more than Jesus. He's more committed to your transformation and your growth than you ever will be. And here's the way that we would choose it. Oh, yes, I would love to sign up for sanctification. Sounds like a really, really good plan. That's way better than the the membership plan that the Costco or the Lifetime Fitness offers me. I'd love to do. I want to do that sanctification thing. But here's how I'd like it to be. I want it to be pretty light, pretty easy. Um, I want to be able to do it in the confines of maybe like a little Bible study But that's not how he chooses to refine us, is it? He loves us too much to only give us present comfort. In way of application, I want to tell you this about that sudden storm. That sudden storm in your life is not so sudden. The job loss, um, the divorce, uh, the relational complexity, the doctor's prognosis, that rejection letter, that illness, your wayward child... That sudden storm is not so sudden. And though you might not be able to wrap your mind around it, it's an opportunity for you to trust God as being God. You know, as a parent, I am regularly uh, uh, asking my kids, let me be honest, as a parent, I'm regularly yelling at my kids uh, to trust me when they can't understand something that I'm saying no to or that I'm saying yes to, or I get that they can't understand what I'm doing, but I'm asking them to trust me. And we're okay with that in a parent-child context, but you tell modern American people to trust a transcendent sovereign God and we recoil. Be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged, sister. That storm is not so sudden. 
It's been mapped out carefully, lovingly by a good and a sovereign Lord. My next point is this. um, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew where his sheep were. He knew what his disciples were up against and what they were dealing with as they're out on a raging sea. He knew. He's not a distant or a disconnected or a disinterested savior. Again, Mark's account, it gives us a a little bit more detail in Mark 648 when it says this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. Now, I want you to get that. I want you to wrap your mind around that. You got to do something with that. I mean, your, your theology has to speak into that. What? So Jesus sees his disciples straining. Well, why not immediately rescue? Why not immediately jump in? We may ask. Guys, what if our sovereign Lord has a bigger picture, an eternal picture of our lives in view as opposed to a small one that this life encompasses? Muscles that are never used grow weak. If you've ever had a cast uh, on your leg, you know, what happens when you finally take the cast off? It's a lot weaker than the other one. Why? Because it hasn't been tested. It hasn't had weight on it. There hasn't been a burden on it. And so it's weaker. Um, when, you're, when you're working out at the gym, which a few of you do, uh, when you're working out at the gym, a good spotter doesn't take the full brunt of the weight off at the first sign of struggle. Why? Because more struggle equals more muscle growth. More strain equals uh, better results. And so a good spotter, you're just there to kind of tap it up. I want to make sure it doesn't absolutely crush you. I'm there to tap it up, but more strain is more growth. Guys, one of the greatest texts that speaks to us in our pain is 1 Peter 1. If you have your Bible turned there, I want you to see this. Take a pen and just put a circle around it. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. If you, if you don't need it right now, you're going to need it really soon. I can promise you that. First Peter chapter one, listen to verse six and seven. Peter's writing to people who are in the midst of a storm. They're in the midst of pain. And listen, he, he pulls our eyes up from, from down here. And he shows us this big picture, which is, gosh, we just need that. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and it doesn't feel like a little while sometimes, does it? But now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that, so why? Why have you been grieved by various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to what? To do something, to result in praise and glory and honor. When? At the end, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose, a redemptive end. Guys, I don't know how people like Joel Osteen would handle that text. I mean, I guess you just don't. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is real Christianity. This is the real story, unfiltered. 
Not sign up and things get easy. God only blesses and it looks like this. I mean, this is real Christianity that we worship a suffering savior and he delights to refine his people for an eternity by inviting them to share in redemptive, not pointless suffering. This is a God who sends his followers into storms I mean, you, you want to get counter uh, Christian culture, say that, preach that. Yes, oftentimes hard ones, oftentimes confusing ones, but every time ones for our ultimate good. The prosperity gospel says this, do good and you'll get good. I mean, it's, it's nothing but, but glorified karma. The gospel does not say that. I mean, how about Jesus. Has, has anyone done better than the sinless, uh, perfect Jesus? And, and what did he get? Did he get good? Not in this world. How did the disciples end up in this mess? This is, this is one of the things that I'm probably asked uh, the most often when people are in the midst of trial or in the mixed, midst of a storm complexity. Was it, was, is, this, is this my sin? Maybe. But in this case, how did the disciples get in um, a trial? How did they get in a storm? They obeyed Jesus. That's how they ended up in a storm. They obeyed Jesus. Mark tells us immediately he sent them to the boat. John Piper tweeted this morning, nothing can blow you over inside the walls of Romans 828. I love that imagery. You know what Romans 828 I'm going to work all things, all things together for your good, for those who, who are mine. It's all, it's all going to fit. It's all going to work. I'm going to work it for your good. And, and you're, in some, you're inside of walls when you're a believer. And nothing can, can you know, crack them. Nothing can blow them down. And then he says, outside Romans 8.28, all is confusion, anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. You know, a lot of our struggle to, to worship and trust our Savior with all of the details of our lives and, and circumstances is really rooted to this innate desire for us to be God. In essence, we want to be God. We want control. And Jesus here, he is watching. I mean, just picture this, this scene. He's literally on a mountain watching his disciples struggle. He knows he knows. How do I know that he knows? Romans 8.34 tells me. Romans 8.34 tells me that God, that, that, that Christ is at the right hand of God, enthroned in all power and all authority, and he's pleading, he's interceding, he's praying for me. What a promise. What a promise. Matthew and Mark tell us. Jesus is doing something on that mountain as he's watching those that he loved getting battered. And he wasn't just chuckling at him like a senior, you know, giving a freshman a fake hall pass and, you know, just kind of laughing at someone's frustration. What is he doing? He's working. How? Praying for his people. Life application. Perhaps you've lost hope that Jesus really does know. You hear it. You know, there's a, there's a theological compartment in your brain that goes, okay, sovereignty, all things work together for good. But stuff is going on. Something's going on and you've, you've lost that hope. You know what? Jesus does know 
Uh, he, he, maybe he doesn't know about that hurt. He doesn't know about that pain. He doesn't know about this, this, this complex situation. That's why this story encourages me so much. You have guys who were just physically with Jesus. They were just with Jesus and they saw him take these loaves and this little bit of fish and feed a ton of people. They just saw that. And yet still they are presumably struggling, probably with the timing and the nature of God's control over their situation. They just were with him and they saw what he's capable of. They saw what he can do and they're probably going, oh no, what are we going to do? We have no one with us who's powerful enough. That's so encouraging because do we not do that? Do we not amen and affirm what Dr. Young says on a Sunday and then when we're at lunch, forget it. Jesus still shows up. It wasn't, well, if you would have been more faithful disciples, if you would have done this, said this, he still shows up. Why? Because Jesus knows. Friend, hey, whatever it is right now, Jesus knows. Last point is this. Not only does he know, but Jesus moved. Jesus moved. Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles... A long way in water. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Um, my dad's a big barbecuer. He, he's really good at it, too. Um, his specialty is ribs, and I think it's apple wood that he uses. Anyway, the certain type of wood that he uses, it can make the, the meat almost look like it's, it's, it's burnt, but it's totally not. I promise you, you, you would taste these and it's not at all. But every time he's cooking it, and it's an all day thing, he cooks them for eight hours. But every time we're out there, if it's a family member, if it's a friend, and he takes it off after like hour four, they're like, oh no, you got to get it off. It's burning. He's like, no, no, you know, let the master do its thing. You know, wax him with the, with the spatula. It's not burning. But every time they're going, no, no, you got to take it off. It's burning. You know, good, good cooking is all about the right timing. You got to time everything, right? When the time was right, Jesus moved. When the time is right in this scenario, it's not too late. It's not too early. He moved when the time was right. He doesn't watch our lives being played out with some sort of unmoved detachment. You know, the other gospels, I mean, tells us that it was literally all night that these guys were getting thrashed around the sea. That's a long time. And then Jesus shows up. I mean, try to wrap your head in reality around this scenario. You're an experienced fisherman, so you're not altogether freaking out uh, about this storm, but then you see a guy walking towards you on water. Okay, that's weird. Like that's, that's not supposed to happen. That, that doesn't normally happen. That's not a regular occurrence. I mean, that's terrifying. They, they thought it was a ghost. And I would bet that they begin to paddle away. I mean, wouldn't you? That's a weird scene. I bet they would have began to paddle away, away from their only true safety and their only true hope. And don't we do this at times in trials? Jesus shows up not looking like the Jesus that we expected. And so we get freaked out and we, and we paddle away. You know, God intends maybe this thing, even this hard thing for our blessing, but we paddle away. 
not to play the mind of God, but perhaps God is doing this thing because he wants to pull you more into the life of, of the church. He wants you more in fellowship with other believers, but what do we do? We, we don't feel like it. And so we're going to miss that. Perhaps the thing is designed to pull us more into his word because we've got nothing else. The only place we can go is, is here to get some relief, to get some comfort, to get some hope. And, and yet we don't feel like reading our Bible during this thing. We, we paddle away. You know, oftentimes we waste storms because we're just very impatient people. We don't wait on God. We're innovative Americans. At the first sign of a wave, here's what we're going to do. We're going to Amazon Prime a motor and a little drone is going to come out, you know, and, and drop it off in the boat. And we're going to go, oh, watch this. And we're going to get to the shore. We hate waiting. We hate silence. Uh, there's a story about um, a, a man who loses a really expensive fine watch in, in the sawdust at a mill. And so all the workers shut down the place and they start raking through mounds and mounds of sawdust and chaos. And after hours and hours, no one has found this expensive watch until the day's done and this little boy goes in and 10 minutes later, he walks out with this watch. And his dad is just utterly amazed and impressed. How in the world did you do that? And the little boy said, I just laid down in the sawdust and listened and I heard ticking. Do you know why we meet together regularly and why we retreat and why we encourage you to meet God in his word? It's because we want you to hear ticking. Our lives are noisy and they're so noisy that oftentimes we drown out the voice of the almighty, especially in our pain, right? When did the disciples rejoice? When did they rest? When did everything become okay? Here's when it was, here's the turning point. When they heard the voice of Jesus, when they heard the voice of Jesus, things were okay. Friends, this, these words of God is where we hear Jesus's calming voice. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That is how Jesus shows up in our storm. It might not be the miraculous that you're waiting for or desiring. Sometimes it's just normal. Sometimes it's waking up in the morning and you haven't slept in a long time because this loss or grieving this or this thing is just eating you alive and you wish it, you wish it was some floating Jesus that came through the chimney and had a word. Sometimes it's just this on your coffee table, picking it up and listening to Jesus. Life application for you is this. Um, it is... This is, this is a, a, a lot of people in one room. Um, and, and for some of you, it has been a long night of paddling against horrible winds. Some things that maybe you've shared with other people, some things that maybe only you and God know that you're wrestling with. I would ask you, in what ways are you trying to fix it yourself? In what ways are you trying to go, uh, I can get out of this. I can make this better. I can spin my wheels by quickly moving on to the next relationship. Or maybe I can drown out some of this hurt through, um, through a substance or substances. 
You create little idols and distractions left and right to kind of fix, fix it. Take heart in this, friend. Please take heart in this. We serve a Savior that acts. He moves in his loving and his wise timing. Trust him. Trust him. Sometimes a storm is just what it takes sometimes for us to light, to lay down in the sawdust and listen for ticking, isn't it? Isn't that some way, sometimes the only way that he slows us down? That he makes us hungry or makes us desperate? Be still. Listen, don't fix it your way. Don't waste your storm. Keep paddling. How? How do I keep paddling? You keep paddling through this. You keep paddling through God's people. Let me close with this. Um, I can prove everything to you that I'm saying is absolutely true. I can prove it to you. I can prove to you that it's true. God can. Actually, God did. And the way that he shows up and the way that he proves it is in the resurrection of his son. I want you to think back with me a couple thousand years, the Saturday after Good Friday, Jesus has been murdered. And as the disciples, this is your friend, this is your leader, this is your savior. And you see your savior weak and helpless and bloodied and dying on a cross. And you see them kill him. You see him take his last breath and you see them take him down and you see them take him away. He is dead. Think about it. The one time in human history that we get our hands on God and we murder him. Think about that. Is there any darker backdrop for God's people than that? That's a bad weekend for the disciples. Is there any darker backdrop than our Savior, God in the flesh, has just been killed? Is there any greater storm? And yet, the storm that seems sudden, it seems sudden to Peter. Wait, what's going on? Give me the sword. No, 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 this is not going to happen. Wasn't so sudden. And Jesus knew He knew that the father had planned and orchestrated this storm. He knew that he was being sent right into the middle of it. He knew exactly what he signed up for. John 10 verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus knew and Jesus moved at the right time, at the right time, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many at the right time. I mean, do you think that the disciples' faith was strengthened maybe just a wee bit after seeing their murdered Savior walking around and talking to them face to face, after touching his hands, that they saw nails being driven through just a few days before? I mean, do you think that seeing the glorious light of Christ burst through the darkest backdrop in the history of the world gave Jesus's followers boldness and confidence and an absolute trust that Jesus will indeed do what he says he will do? 
Friends, we have a resurrected Jesus who is today sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he has imparted his very spirit into each and every one of us who claim him as Father. Jesus' ultimate answer to any storm, any storm that we face is the cross and the resurrection. That's that's tangible, measurable, proven, real faith. That is why we can trust him. We don't just blindly hope. We have proof. Do you know this Jesus? The one who sends storms and yet is lovingly sovereign over them. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us something that speaks to us exactly where we are. Lord, thank you for this Savior. Lord, that we have this gospel to to view everything about this life and the next through is a gift. Lord, my prayer is, is, is for all of us. My prayer is for these sheep, this flock. Lord, there are many circumstances, some known many unknown that are very stormy. Lord, will you press the truth of who you are into those situations? Lord, we know that you're sovereign. It's something that we say often. We toss around often, almost flippantly. But Lord, will you prepare us for when we have to believe that? We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for illumination um, that you would give us the gift to be able to know you through it. May you be magnified. And when, when, when the rest of the world looks at us and looks at how we, we do go through trial, we do go through complexity, Lord, would they see you? And as you pick us up, would you see yourself? Lord, only you can accomplish this, only through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we beg this of you and we ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Always a pleasure. Have a good Wednesday night. Go check out the Bass Pro, support Memphis, all that good stuff. Go Grizzlies and whatever. Have a good night.